you're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for November 21st, 2021, the last Sunday after Pentecost, Christ the King. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. Our church year culminates today in the Feast of Christ the King. For the church, the kingship of Christ is meant to be understood on a cosmic scale. When the incarnate Jesus was alive and walking the earth, he was called a king only ironically or derisively, but hardly literally. And yet, on some levels, the church through history had a hard time making the leap from the ironic to the cosmic, and it got stuck in the literal. In so many icons and paintings, Jesus is portrayed in the bejeweled crowns of earthly kings, decked out with their scepters and royal robes, and sitting on a throne, looking suspiciously like any one of the earth's kings and many of our religion's bishops. Perhaps those who commissioned such (coughs) artwork needed these portrayals in order to reinforce their own self-images, their own claims on the divine right of kings. The art is supposed to inspire awe. I don't know about you, but I, for one, I am more awed by the visions of Jesus we've come to know through the many weeks and months of the church year we spend studying the Gospels. Jesus made crystal clear in the way he lived and taught and died that Christ the King does not reign like the earth's kingdoms with greed and violence. His kingdom is not from here. In the Gospels, in chapter after chapter and story after story of teaching and healing, Jesus is first and foremost a wisdom teacher, a healer, and the embodiment of truth and humility, who teaches his disciples that the way to the kingdom of God is through humble service and love of neighbor and enemy alike. The way to the kingdom of God is by taking the last place in line, so the least and the last can be first. God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world's nations, whose energies are spent shoring up (coughs) military might, amassing wealth and resources, or defending borders, or squandering their credibility as they become mired in corruption and injustice. These kingdoms may run on the shock or or the awe that spreads fear, but the kingdom of God operates on the awe that gives life to the soul and sets people free from fear. So on this feast of Christ the King, rather than getting caught up like Pontius Pilate did in the distraction of whether Jesus is a king or not, the real point of the lofty imagery of this day is to point our hearts and minds towards awe. Awe is nothing less than an authentic God encounter, an experience which reminds us that God is the center of the universe, not we ourselves, and not our nations, and not our problems. When we experience awe, we are decentered and brought into contact with the holy center of all things. Today, we sing the hymns of artists and read the the psalms of poets and share the lessons of dreamers, all those who are so beautifully able to bring us into places of awe. The whole of our liturgy, 
from Charles Wesley's hymn that we sang at the opening procession, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, to the beauty and the purity of the children's voices and joyful noise singing, to Second Samuel and the last words of David, in which God says to David, one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, is like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on a grassy field. To the reading from Revelation, look, he is coming with the clouds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. These are the metaphors that silence us into awe. So the Feast of Christ the King, if we let our imaginations run with it, can remind us to seek experiences of awe in which we might just glimpse the joy and wonder of the divine presence at work in our daily lives. In our baptismal covenant, our entry point into the lifetime of growth in our faith, we pray over the newly baptized that they will have the gifts of joy and wonder in all the works of God. While we mostly pray this prayer over children, it is something to pray for ourselves all of our lives, especially as we grow into adulthood, when the cares and worries of our lives crowd out more and more the natural propensity we are born with for awe and joy and wonder. I doubt there is one person who can look back on the past year or two without some sadness or sense of loss or at least some experience of stress and struggle. We have come a long way through this global pandemic, but only to find ourselves having to endure yet longer through uncertainty and confusion and conflict in our society over how to solve any and all of the enormous challenges we collectively face. We bear heavy loads across, our, across the board, on our planet, in our communities, in our bodies, in our emotions, and in our spirits. And so with these cosmic and daily struggles, our spiritual work is to align ourselves with the cosmically creative, mysterious, and loving hand of God in the world and in our lives by spending time seeking out awe. Awe is actually a new field of scientific study over the last 20 years. And according to researchers at Berkeley, awe is different from elevation or admiration, inspiration, or even epiphany. Awe is an emotional response to a vastness in size, scope, or complexity that defies our usual frame of reference. So it also requires a shift in our usual mental paradigm to accommodate the experience. Awe opens us to a new way of seeing and perceiving. And isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Having our entire consciousness transformed. To paraphrase Charles Wesley, when Jesus speaks, the dead receive new life. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. The lame leap for joy. In spiritual terms, I believe that a place of awe is exactly where Jesus invites us to go. Albert Einstein said, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. 
He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Because experiencing awe requires our attention, it's easy to let ourselves go for days or weeks or even months without taking notice of the miraculous and mysterious things that surround us all the time. We become consumed by the many worries that life lays at our doorsteps, and we forget to look beyond them. Finding awe requires us to set aside our worries and cares momentarily, to pause, to slow down, to be present, and to observe the world around us. It requires us to adjust our mindsets so that we can be awed. Excessive worry and stress can make it all but impossible to, experiencing, to experience awe in our day-to-day. And maybe that's why, it's, why going into nature is such an elixir. It takes works, work for us to find awe, but we don't have to go all the way to the Grand Canyon to find it. It can be glimpsed in the captivating look you get from your cat or your dog, or in the kind word you hear from a stranger, or in the earthy scent of a crisp fall day. Sometimes awe is found in a piece of music you want to hear over and over because it takes you somewhere transcendent. These sound like only mundane things until you are the one being awed by them. From the simple to the sublime, the earth is full of the glory of God. And when we really see it, we can't help but be filled with awe. And we want to share it. How many pictures of people's pets or sunsets or fall colors do you see posted on Instagram? These things beg to be shared. My mother loves to talk with me about the Gospels every week from her home in Colorado before I preach. And yesterday, before she knew where I would go with this sermon, she sent me a text about what it means to her to see Jesus as a king. She said, I felt lifted to a higher concept of rulership, the one in which leadership could bring justice with strength, but also with goodness. Such a ruler brings peace to the heart, compassion and grace to all situations. This peace and grace can only be seen in metaphor, she said, like the gently falling rain hydrating the earth. After we drink when we are thirsty, it brings relief from tension and distress. It wasn't lost on me that she went right to an image of awe rooted in nature, the gently falling rain hydrating the earth, and right to an experience as simple as drinking a glass of water. Her words reminded me of a parable created by the novelist Nikos Kazantzakis that his character Jesus tells to a man in deep despair because he had prayed for years in vain for God to show himself. Jesus says to the man, Once upon a time there was a great marble throne, and on this throne sat 3,000 kings. All of them in succession called upon God to appear, but each one went to his grave with his wishes unfulfilled. Then, when all the kings had died, a hungry and barefoot pauper approached the throne and climbed up onto it. He whispered, God, the eyes of a human being cannot look directly at the sun, 
for they would be blinded. How then, omnipotent, can they look directly at you? Have pity, Lord. Temper your strength. Turn down your splendor so that I, who am poor and afflicted, may see you. Then the teacher said, God became a piece of bread, a cool cup of water, a warm tunic, a hat, a hut, and in front of the hut, a woman nursing an infant. The pauper said, Thank you, Lord. You humbled yourself for my sake. You became bread and water, a warm tunic, and a wife and a child, in order that I may see you. And I did see you. I bowed down and worship your many-faced face. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanaan.org.